Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. We do invite you to remain standing in body or in spirit as we hear the reading of God's word. Today our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 26. I'll be reading this morning from the message translation. Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. I'm getting the picture that when you meet together it brings out your worst side instead of your best. First, I get this report on your divisiveness, competing with and criticizing each other. I'm reluctant to believe it, but there it is. The best that can be said for it is that the testing process will bring truth into the open and confirm it. And then I find that you bring divisions to worship. You come together and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring in a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go home hungry. Others have to be carried out, too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Don't you have your own homes to eat and drink in? Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? I never would have believed you would stoop to this. And I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread, And every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, we do pray. Lord, I just pray right now. That your truth, your wisdom, your word, and your presence would be here present, and we would be receivers of your word, hearers of your word, and doers of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I kind of wonder, after hearing that, what Paul would say to the church in Mustang, or what would Paul say to the United Methodist Church, or what would Paul say to the American church or the church worldwide, um, because it is, uh, it's interesting that there is, uh, in some ways it doesn't feel like anything has changed. Divisiveness is just part of the world that we live in and is part of the church that we live in. Some of you may be more aware than others of the division that is happening in the United Methodist Church, and it seems like that we are a church that, uh, that has irreconcilable differences. And I wonder what that says to a world of division. 
I don't, I don't know about you, but there, there seems like our world is such a divided place, right? Everywhere you go, it's division, division. It's us and them. It's I can't believe they would do that. We point our fingers. We blame. We are easy to mischaracterize and to not see the humanity of the other side. Now, I am somebody who believes that the problem is not that we disagree. The problem is that we disengage with each other. You and I, we're going to disagree about all sorts of things, right? We're going to disagree even maybe about how we do communion and what the appropriate way to do communion or baptism might be. We are going to have theological differences. We're going to have practical differences. Some of you are going to like one song and you're going to not like this other song. This is it. But what happens in our world today is not that we disagree because that's been happening. But what happens is that we disengage with one another who see the world or who experience or practice the world differently than we do. As one person said, it used to be, I think I'm right and you're wrong. But now it's, I think I'm right and you're evil. And this is the world that we live in. And whenever we, whenever we participate in the disengagement with one another, we are participating in the world. We become more like the world then we become like heaven, like the way that God wants us to be. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to begin a new sermon series called The Good Place. We're going to be looking at the kingdom of God, the good place, and what it means to be part of that world. But we can see that the bad place, what the world is now, there's a lot of brokenness and division, and it is easy for Christians to look more like the bad place than we do the good place. And what would it look like if the church became a witness for how we love and treat one another instead of symptomatic of the world around us. Because we live in such divisive times. Uh, I, I follow this Christian stat guy on Twitter. I don't even remember his name, but, but he, he, he posts different kinds of stats about the church and about people's beliefs and all sorts of stuff. And he shared this about our political ideology. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, politics are very divisive. And, um, and again, what happens is, is that we begin to see that I think I'm right and I think you're evil. And we see this in our statistics. So um, I, I just combined what Republicans think about Democrats and what do Democrats think about Republicans in just a one stat. And so 75% of people believe that the other party is closed-minded. 70% call the other party dishonest. 68% call the other party immoral, and 50% call the other party unintelligent. Would anybody like to come up here and agree with that right now? Right? We, we, what, I, what I want to tell you is that you have people in this room who are the other party. You have people in this room who believe differently than you do. You have people in this room who love and follow Jesus and who have come to different conclusions. I've got friends, you have friends, who are Republicans, Independents, Democrats, Libertarians, anything else that might be out there. Are they really dishonest, immoral, closed-minded people? Where have we gotten in society today that we see just this political tribalism and allegiance that has overtaken the table of the Lord? And what do we do about it? 
Um, there's a guy by the name of Simon Sinek. He's written a couple of books. One of his books is called The Infinite Game. And in there, he talks about there are two kinds of games. There are finite games and there are infinite games. And the problem is, is that so often we confuse infinite games with finite games. So a finite game, and my favorite finite game is one that's coming up. It's football, right? We're in football season. Here's the great thing about football is at the end of the game, somebody wins and somebody loses. You know it, that it happens all the time. It's a finite game. There's a time, there's a clock, and it's over. But there are also infinite games. My favorite infinite game is Tetris. The goal of Tetris is to play the game as long as possible. Right? You can't win Tetris because if so, I would still be playing right now. Right? So the goal is just to keep the game going and to make it as good of an experience for as long as possible. Now, what often happens, and, and we've got another election coming up, and then soon enough it's going to be November, there's always these turns that, that our political world has decided that it's an infinite game. The goal of, of government, the goal of church, the goal of relationships is to keep going and to make it as good for as many po- people as for as long as possible. But that is not what your 30-second commercials will tell you. Your 30-second commercials will tell you it's a finite game. We have to win so we can own these other people. This person is a loser, and we're going to be a winner, and you don't want to be associated with this. It's a finite game in an infinite world. And when we miss that, we miss out on everything. Because ultimately, as we believe that grace grows here, we believe that we are in infinite relationships with people. Now, I don't know what the future holds for the United Methodist Church. I don't know what the future holds for Mustang United Methodist Church. But what I do know and what I hope for and what I believe is that whatever decision our church ends up making will only matter as much as how we make that decision. Do we really embody the table and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we going to become like the world and just fight and fight and fight? And my hope is that we do the how right and that we love and respect one another and that we make decisions. Churches have to make decisions. And the history of Christianity is the history of the division of the church. But there is hope because there is Jesus and he has a way to bind us together. And what would it look like if the church had some manner of unity in such a divided and divisive world? Could it be possible? Now, the good news for you and for I is, is that this is not new. This has been going around since the church was started. The church has had issues. Now, we have all sorts of issues in the church. Sometimes, again, it's about songs. It's about worship style. You know, I like the 11 o'clock service better than the 8.30, or I like the 8.30 better than the 11. It's about what ministry is the best or what ministry is most important. But that's not what Paul brings our attention to. And so in the book of 1 Corinthians, we, we hear about some of the divisions that Paul is trying to address in the church in Corinth. Now, one of the things that we're doing this year as a church is that we are reading Scripture from the beginning to the end. And so uh, you may have noticed in the foyer, we've got this board with dots. And I know that some of you, you love to come in on Sunday morning and to put your latest dot up on the board. Now, there are others of you who you were starting out good in Genesis and Exodus. You had this like New Year's resolution, like, I'm going to read the Bible. We're doing this together. And then you got to like Leviticus and Numbers. And, and, and I noticed that the dots, 
just sort of started going down the further we went through the books. And maybe some of you, you started coming to our church in March and you weren't able to kind of jump in, but I want to invite you to jump in to read the New Testament. And so out in the foyer, we have these read scripture. The New Testament is beginning August the 24th. Um, and so you can jump just right in and you can read the New Testament. Um, and what would it look like to put your dots up and to be able to finish this together? So if you haven't done it, um, I'd invite you to join in and let's read the New Testament together because it's great because you get to see books, not just a little bit of verses that I might read on Sunday morning or that you might read as your daily morning app, but that you get to see books in context. And I think that really matters and helps us to understand what's going on. Because if we understand the book of 1 Corinthians in context, we're going to see of this church that was full of division and that Paul is trying to help out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's an argument about what teacher they like the best. There were some people that said, well, Paul started the church, we like him the best. Other people said Peter. Other people said this guy named Apollos. And they were all trying to argue about which teacher or which class was the best. And Paul essentially says, it doesn't matter, it's about Jesus. All of us teachers, we're servants of Jesus. And so, yes, there's going to be different teachers that speak more to you. That's great. But it's about the kingdom and about the message of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through 7, um, there, there's a variety of, of sexual behavior issues that the church is trying to address. And they're trying to, to figure out what to do. Now, this is a much longer sermon. In fact, I preached it back in April. And so I'd encourage you, if you're curious, what does that say? It was either April or May. Um, I did a sermon series called Money, Sex, and Power um, in which I addressed this. But essentially, Paul was saying it does matter what you do with your bodies. And because Jesus rose from the dead, it matters what we do with our bodies. And so we, um, it, we encourage you to listen to God and that there is no such thing as casual sexuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there was this weird disagreement to us about food sacrificed to idols. And so what would happen is that there would be at a, at a temple that wasn't a Christian temple, um, they would sacrifice idols to, they would sacrifice food, and then they would determine whether or not you could eat the barbecue or not. And so there were some Christians who were like, hey, it doesn't matter because that's not a real God anyways, so you might as well and not turn the brisket down. But other people were like, well, um, if you eat that, then people might think that you're worshiping that God, and so you shouldn't do that even if you think that you're doing that. And so what Paul's point was, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about how do we best love and walk together in community so that we can walk together. And then here in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about some of the division. And you heard how strong he is with his words. Regarding this next item, I'm not at all pleased. I am getting the picture that when you meet together, it brings out your worst side instead of your best. I remember when I was uh, about 21, 22, I was part of a, a church in Norman, and we had some serious church conflict. And, um, and so we had a congregational meeting in the sanctuary, a sanctuary kind of like this one, set up in four sections. And uh, I remember I was sitting over there, and all of a sudden there was a guy who got up over there and started walking and pointing his finger at a guy who was sitting over there. And I just remember thinking, where in the world am I? Because I believed I was in a sanctuary, but this was anything but holy. Right? That, that when, when church conflict gets us, it's the worst. And I imagine that there are people that you know 
that the reason they're not sitting with us today or anywhere on Sunday morning is because of a church conflict situation that they were a part of. It brings out the worst instead of the best. And so in that church, there was this weird situation to us. I mean, it it sounded weird when I read the scripture. Instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring out a lot of food from the outside and make pigs of yourself. That doesn't sound like what we do here. And then he goes on. It says, some are left out and go hungry. Others have to be carried out too drunk to walk. I can't believe it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. That must be a Catholic church that uh, they were at. Certainly not a Baptist church, right? Um, you know, because uh, the, the Baptists, you know, they just drink at their house where nobody can see them. The Catholics do it out in the open. I got friends who are Catholic and Baptist. We're all, all good, right? So what in the world is happening here? So what's, what's happening in this context is, again, worship looks different. It's not the sanctuary. It's not a big church like this. Oftentimes, they would meet in people's homes. And sometimes, they would meet in some richer people's homes and houses. Now, what would happen is that the people who could afford to get off early and not work were the people who made more money. And they got to go to the fancy meal in the fancy room of the house where the good wine was. And they got to start early. Meanwhile, the lower class, the peasants would often come late because they had to work longer. They ate in a different room, and they did not have the same things. And this was church. Terrible, isn't it? And so Paul was just like, what in the world is going on? You guys are partying over here and feasting over here, barely leaving scraps for these people. You are eating like pigs. You're getting wasted. Is this why Jesus died is for church? Not at all. He says you're completely missing the point. The point is not separation. The point is unity around a single table. The table of the Lord. Now when I was in Tulsa, I had a friend named Peter. And when we talked about communion, and at that church we did communion every Sunday. I loved it. It was a great, great thing. Um, Because there's such a gift in this gift of communion each and every week and one of the things that he liked to think about with communion is he called it the kids table now I don't know about you but probably most families when we get together we have the adult table and we have the kids table and that makes sense all right because sometimes we have different conversations sometimes there's different needs but we separate it's one of the things we do but he's my friend Peter made the point that at the Lord's table it's at the kids table and all we can do is receive Because it's not like, oh, who has a better standing? I don't have a better standing because I'm the pastor and I get things together so I get to go first or I get the biggest piece or whatever it is. That's not what it's about. At this table, whether you're a sinner or a saint, whether you've been doing it for a long time or whether you haven't, whether you're Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal or non-denominational, at this table, all we can do is receive the gift and the grace of God. At this table, we are all kids waiting for food from our master. This is who we are. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthian church, that this is of central importance. I mean, did you hear what he said? Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. And so he goes through this ritual 
of communion. And he says, you must solemnly realize that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. And that every time we come to this table, every time we gather around, we are reenacting and remembering and participating in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And all of our divisions and all of our thoughts and all of our opinions and all of our beliefs, as important as they are, they all fall vaguely unimportant with the incredible work and love of Jesus Christ. That we are people who need to receive his, bro- his broken body and his incredible grace. And we do that in a world of people who are wondering, is there a place and are there people that are different? If you want fighting, if you want arguing, you can get that anywhere. Turn on the TV, there's a hundred different ways that people are arguing. We love drama. If you want peace and unity, that's hard to find. But people are looking for it. I remember I was talking to a friend, and he was the associate pastor at a church, and they had their longtime pastor. He had been the pastor over 30 years at that church um, who was about to retire. And so I said, oh, what do people think about his retirement? I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, some people are sad because he's been the only pastor they knew, and they're sad that he's going to be leaving. He said other people are happy because they thought he should have retired a few years ago. But he said, but most people are just worried about soccer practice on Tuesday. Y'all, our world is worried about soccer practice on Tuesday. They're worried about their kid and can they make it 15 minutes before they get to Barbie's office. They're worried about their mother-in-law and how she's feeling and how do I care for her. They're worried about their best friend who seems to be more distant. They're worried about the person who used to sit in church and they don't see anymore. They're worried about their own anxiety and depression. They're worried, is there a place where they belong and where they are loved and where grace grows alongside? They're worried if there's room at the table for them. What would it look like for us to be the place that extends that table? Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.